Baruch atah Adonai, Eloheinu melech haolam, asher kitshanu bimitvotah vetzivanu, laasok bedivrei Torah. Veha'arevna Adonai Eloheinu et divrei Torateka befinu ufiamka beit Yisrael, Venie anaknu vedzeetzeinu vedzeetzee amka beit Yisrael, kulano yodea shemeka velom de Torateka lishma. Baruch ata Adonai hamlame Torah leamo Yisrael. Baruch haba b'shem Adonai shlach na Mashiach ben David. Now, Hakadosh Baruch Hu, we ask, Ken Yehiratzon, like to welcome you to Parasha Devarim, new Sefer Torah, new Parasha for the week. We're about a week and three days from Tisha B'Av. So, Bezrat Hashem, I've been doing the Bain HaMetzarim, which are the three weeks of mourning uh, podcast for each day, uh, just doing a little meditation upon the letters and which are the building blocks of creation and praying and asking that Hashem will cause the building of the temple to be revealed with the final Geula through the merit of establishing the 22 letters into creation during these 22 days. Technically, mourning continues into the 10th of Av, which is why the afternoon of the 10th of Av is when you can re re Zoom, eating meat and uh, drinking wine during the weekdays and things like that. There are some morning uh, customs that actually continue into the tenth of Av until the midday point. Why? Because when the Beit Hamikdash was destroyed on Tisha B'Av, that the burning actually carried over into the tenth of Av. So technically, we have, even though it's three weeks, we have like basically three weeks in a day, a.k.a. 22 days. The Atbash Gematria of Hebrew is actually doing the Hebrew letters from Tav to Aleph. So the reason why Bain HaMetzrim, uh, as I'm doing these podcasts uh, for the meditations and asking Hashem to to basically bring the final redemption, with which will be the building of the temple and the coming of Mashiach. Coming and return is the same word in Hebrew. So whether we say return or coming, it's all Yashuv, a.k.a. Yavo. Um, but anyway, um, that whole process is about really using the uh, the underlying revelation within the revelation to be brought forth. So that's the reason why I'm going backwards with the Aleph bet, because the Abbash is basically from Aleph to Tav mirrored. So what whatever the mirror is, is actually the Abbash. So for every time you say Aleph, it's actually Tav. Every time you say Bet, it's actually Sheen, and so on and so forth. So that's kind of one of the things that I have uh, devoted myself to for these three weeks, because I don't know about y'all. But I'm tired of it. I'm tired of the morning, you know, and really what's going on in the world today with COVID-19, with the rioters, with BLM, with all sorts of stuff that's going on across the globe with bringing back statues of foreign gods and things like that. Not that that ever really went away, but, you know, yeah, it's like. 
a new surgence of spirituality, new ageness and things like that, that are just continuing to kind of show up in pockets and uh, really pick up notoriety, I guess would be the better thing. Or maybe I just live life under a rock and I don't really know much, but you know, hey, Baruch Hashem to each their own, I guess in that respect, because we all have a responsibility to learn. And uh, my fault, I guess, is being so concerned about Torah that I've just kind of, you know, I don't really spend a lot of time in news articles. So um, I kind of know some of the high points and, you know, but other than that, I've got Torah study to do. And uh, furthermore, wanting to really be light into the world as opposed to look at what darkness is doing. And basically for me, anytime I see darkness, I'm like, oh, I, I know what I need to do now um, because, you know, being Shomer Man, haha, you know, Shomer Man, the reason why Shomer Man has all the stuff that he has is because he learns from every battle, from every villain, and he also learns from all of his super friends. How do you think the Hulkbuster idea came up? How do you think the Thor Buster came up? How do you think the Silver Warrior armor came about? Side note, shouts out to Captain Yisrael Shlita. If you've noticed a heightened spike in violence coming from this wonderful rabbi of ours, that's because he's found that suit. Yes, my friends, ladies and gentlemen, there is such a thing as Captain America having an Iron Man suit. It wasn't enough that he has Thor's old hammer. Now he has to have an Iron Man suit with that. And yeah, so it's just ridiculous. So uh, that's what's happened. So that's what he has now. So Baruch Hashem, uh, that is just absolutely ridiculous. So it's called Civil Warrior. That's the name of the armor. That's uh, also a comic book series on that. If you want to Google that, if you have any time, I guess you want to look into that. But just going along with the Avenger updates, uh, that's what's going on there. Uh, you may notice my picture, even though I'm way late on announcing this, but there is something called the Superior Armor. It's like an alien metal. It works kind of like the symbiote Spider-Man suit. So I can transfer this thing and uh, it can be summoned on and all that kind of stuff. So anyway, so that that's where that comes from. That's why my suit looks like that. So Baruch Hashem, we all basically just need to level up and, uh, you know, tis the season and the three weeks is like the biggest portal in the world for us to jump through on that. So whatever your characters are, Avengers, uh, this is the time to really find your, your super upgrades, take advantage of them. You know, each of these days have immense Kedusha in them. And as Ish Pela Shlita pointed out, Yes, this is a time of mourning, but there's latent joy within them because this time frame on the calendar was originally supposed to be greater, even greater than Rosh Hashanah through Sukkot, Shemini Atzeret. Yep, because you know what? That's a 22-day period. Rosh Hashanah to Shemini Atzeret. Did you know that? Well, if you didn't, now the more you know. Uh, so yeah, these days are actually supposed to be like that. And, um, I believe it is the Midrash says in Parsha Pincus or, uh, maybe even Parsha and more because both of those Parsha talk about the festivals. 
Uh, it says that we were originally supposed to have a festival every month of the calendar. And uh, it was only because of the sin of the golden calf and because of the sin of the spies that we now have this giant gap in the summertime. And now we have to condense everything into Tishrei to have the rest of our pilgrimage and to finish out the holiday cycle. So, yeah, so that that's a thing. So, you know, originally the the Moedim were actually supposed to be in every month. And actually from Book of Our Heritage, it brought down that any month that has 30 days in it actually is supposed to be a month with a Yom Tov. So that's ridiculous. And usually if a day, if a month doesn't have 30 days in it, it has two Rosh Hodeshes. So Rosh Hodeshim. So, uh, so yeah, so there you go. The more you know on that, just a little time reference to keep us all on track, uh, like a choo-choo train. That's what that is. So I want to go ahead and announce that basically I don't have a series for Devarim. You know, uh, one of the things is uh, in, in observance, and especially as you get uh, further along the line and experience with observance, you will begin to notice inconsistencies. And um, inconsistencies, not in a bad way, just, you know, uh, you want to think in your mind, like I can do everything that I normally do every week the same way, like get a routine, basically. But as you go through journeys and chapters of life, actually things change and adjust and move around. Uh, you know, not saying that you won't ever get to study Torah and you won't ever get to daven and things like that. But thinking about locking, being locked into a certain uh, routine. Well, for for uh, my listeners, I want to let everybody know that I'm actually um, expecting to be a dad. So. My wife and I are expecting, so I just want to announce that publicly uh, for those who did not know. Uh, and Bezrat Hashem, we will be having a little boy. So Baruch Hashem on that. So there's a Brit Milah to get prepared for. So that's crazy. <laughs> you know, so uh, so for me, uh, being a... a a father is going to be a whole new thing for me and uh, definitely don't know what that looks like and don't know how that looks with podcasting and things like that. But, you know, got about 15 weeks or so to, to see what that looks like. So Baruch Hashem. But in the meantime, in between time, uh, you know, I'm just going to drop as much as I can and uh, really try to focus on making people who listen to Shomer Man podcast equipped, you know, uh, my podcast now with the help of Hashem and with all gratitude and thanks to Hashem is full of past episodes, full of, uh, different series. There's the GYS, which is the get you some, there's the drop zones that happen from time to time, which is actually what I'm going to title this episode. So this will be devouring drop zone. Don't know if I've done one for devouring yet, but Today's that's what's going to be. So there's not going to be a way to really file this into a specific slot. So I thought about how to organize my podcast to make it uh, more feasible for people who want to listen. But, you know, such as Torah, you just jump right in. You're just in the middle of stuff. You know, people who convert into Judaism. Hey, 
when you whenever you show up to shul, whenever you decide to hey embrace the yoke of Torah and get in here, start taking conversion classes and get in, you're just going to be dropped in the middle of stuff. Even the Talmud begins with not even with the daf being the one A or one B. It starts with two A. So you don't even get to start the oral Torah at the beginning. You start in the middle. By the way, Bereshit, the first word of Torah, that doesn't necessarily mean in the beginning. It means with the Torah, with Rashit, Hashem created. So we're just dropped in the middle of of eternity, and it's like, boom, here's creation. And it's like, okay, so what, what's been going on? You know, because there's stuff that's happened. You know, Mashiach's been slain before the foundation. The throne of glory has been set up. You know, the temple has been uh, crafted. The name of Mashiach has been revealed. Uh, the the Jewish people were in the mind of Hashem. Abraham was thought of in Hashem's mind before the creation of the world. Like all sorts of stuff has been going on and all that. And so people who are of the non-Jewish mindset actually have taking that information and just run with it oh did you know there were people in the in the world before mankind you know god created a bunch of worlds already and so who knows what number world we're in and look at the time frame of creation is it a billion years is it a thousand years the jewish calendar says it's 5780 but you know the gregorian calendar says it's 2020 and so but the world is millions of years old fossils dinosaurs da 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 and you're just like okay everybody just stop for a second let's go back to the torah let's get back to the sources and let's hash this thing out because judaism understands hashing things out i guarantee you that I mean, look at Rambam and Ramban. Rambam and Ramban sound like the same person, but one ends with a mem and the other ends with a noon, and they're back and forth with each other. And there are all sorts of sages who disagree with each other, but they all are sourced out. You know, I want to shout out to uh, Hates, which is our black boat uh, Avenger. So uh, his name is Yosef. So to Chetz Slita, I want to shout him out because I was a part of his Zoom call this past Shabbat. And uh, he was talking about, you know, we can talk about Mashiach and we can we can look at, you know, beliefs in Mashiach and uh, prophecies and things like that. But if it's not backed up by Chazal, which is a fancy euphemism for sources, you know, uh, then what are we talking about? We're just going to fight over opinions. If you don't have a source for what you believe in, then, uh, you know, your opinion is not going to be something that really carries you, you know, and and it's just kind of like, wow, you know, and so Baruch Hashem, we have sources, you know, and uh, he also said this, that was one of the most amazing things to me was he said that I will trust the the commentary from Chazal before I trust my own commentary or someone's commentary of modern theology because they're a lot brighter than me. And I was just like, whoa, what did you just say? Oh my goodness. But if you really think about it, Chazal are the ones who told us what a Bible is. The fact that we think the fact that we know, the fact that we feel 
anything about we have to have Bereshit in Genesis through Malachi, if you have the English Bible, but Bereshit through Divrei Hayamim, if you have a Tanakh. The fact that you have that as scripture, the reason we call it scripture is because Chazal say so. You know, people like Zechariah, people like Mordecai, people like Haggai, people like Daniel, Ezra, Nehemiah. That's just naming a few. So along those lines of thinking, when we read the oral Torah, we need to know the oral Torah is an outflow from those individuals who are actually an outflow running all the way up the ladder to Moshe, who's an outflow running all the way up to the source of all sources, Hakadosh Baruchu. So if you don't trust Moshe, you don't trust Hakadosh Baruchu, which is Hashem, aka the Infinite One, aka the Master of the Worlds, the Master of Creation, Rabono Shelolam, Hashem, the Holy One, blessed is He. You know, like. Yeah, so if you have a problem with Moshe, you have a problem with, with Hashem, which is weird, you know? Many people say, yeah, 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 Moshe was a great guy, but we don't trust the thing he says. And if you don't believe that, why do people eat pork, uh, shellfish, worship on Sunday as opposed to keep the Shabbat? By the way, the Shabbat is not about worship. Every day is about worship. Shabbat is about covenant and testifying that HaKadosh Baruch Hu is the creator of the universe. So thereby, if you don't keep the Shabbat, if you don't guard the Shabbat, if you don't remember the Shabbat, and it definitely if you don't call it a delight, what you are saying is the God who created the world is not God and he did not create the world. I know. It's crazy. It's super crazy. But you don't look at it like that until you understand what Shabbat is. So people who say, oh, yeah, you can work on Saturday. You can keep keep a day of worship on a different day. It's like what? So you don't worship six days a week. You just you just pick a random day out of the week. It could be the seventh day or it could be the 21st day or it could be the 31st day, because sometimes people go forever without taking a quote unquote Shabbat. Because some people just work seven days a week, 20, whatever, like not 24 hours, obviously, however many hours a day they work. Sometimes people just don't take a day off and they just keep working and working and working. And it's like, so did you did you take a day off to be with the Lord? And it's like, nah, I guess I'll, I need to get to that. I'll do it eventually. And it's like, yeah, when your body shuts down and you're super sick, because because sometimes that's what happens to people. Their body breaks down to the point where they're just like, oh, my gosh, I really need to take a break. But. Hashem was like, yeah, work for six days and keep the Shabbat. Then you can go back to work. One day out of the week is not going to kill you to take off from working. You know, because that's saying you don't trust Hashem. But anyway, I've gotten a long way away from saying, being in the middle of the things, that, you know, you come into uh, observance and you're just in the middle of stuff. So 
you're in the middle of a tour portion. You have no idea what that is. And so you're just dropped in like, what's an Aliyah? You know, and it's like, okay, what's a Shabbat? What's a Yom Tov? What's a Moed? What's a conversion? What's a Brit Milah? What's a, what's a Kiddushin? What's a, a, a mikvah, you know, and like you're just dropped in the middle of this stuff. And that's why Acts 15 is so important because it's like we need you to focus on three things when you start or four things when you really read it. And let's go ahead and go to that because that that's the crux of what I'm saying, because as I as I mentioned to you about, you know, I have all these past podcasts with information on it. Everything is delineated by Torah portion because the Torah portions order our life cycles. So the way you know uh, what's going on is by the Torah portion. So you can reference uh, times and and weeks and uh, seasons of your life through the Parshot. So, uh, you know, so if you're dropped in in the middle and, and you're like, okay, so what Torah portion is everybody studying this week? You know, so we're in Devarim right now. So you can go back through the chronic, the chronicles of my anchor and also sound or, um, yeah, SoundCloud. Uh, I have, I have, uh, podcasts on there, you know? So, uh, what is my SoundCloud, uh, address? Let me go to my public profile for a second. I can figure this out. I can do it. I know I can do it. Where is it at? I hit that that and met Ellie Ram. So if I go to, I'm trying to do three things at one time, like a, like a crazy person. Let's see here. It is a met drosh. So soundcloud.com slash Emmet drosh. Okay, so that's where you can find me on SoundCloud um, because there's stuff on SoundCloud that's not on Anchor and there's stuff on Anchor that's not on SoundCloud. But I'm working on that because, uh, you know, one of the things uh, when when our son gets here uh, with the help of Hashem, uh, I, I plan to uh, be a little bit more organized and my podcasting being in both places. So that way the maximum amount of information is getting out there. So anyway, so yeah, so just want to bring that down as far as, um, you know, just you're being in the middle of things and, you know, how do you even reference what is what and what does that mean? And what is this, you know, so I have all the different series. I have Haftarah podcasts, you know, our former, uh, Avenger member Hasis Baz uh, Shlita, and I pray that he and his wife are well, and that they are continuing to bring redemption into the world. Uh, but yeah, so him and I, we've done uh, Haftarah podcasts, and you know, me and the big man, incredible Talmud. Which, by the way, we were joking. We have a uh, Ner Tamid, uh, the eternal flame that's supposed to continue to burn, like the Western lamp of the menorah in the temple when we had it. Uh, that went out because somebody unplugged it this past Shabbat. And we were like, wait, what happened to the Ner meat? It's like the destruction of the temple all over again. And we were just like, no, it's the three weeks we're supposed to be building it. You know, all that kind of stuff. So anyway, uh, we were just like, oh, we get it. You're the incredible Tamid. Because he was the one who actually was the initializer of, hey, Let's pull together some uh, resources and get a Neratamid for the shul. 
Sure enough, a bunch of us chipped in, and guess what? We have an airtime eat for the shul. Did you know you can do things like that for the shul? You know, what What does the shul need right now? You know, if you think of some ideas, well, guess what? You can take it upon yourself. Ask administration, a.k.a. Teka Shlita, which is our Avenger, the Thena of the Immortals, is who this character is, and that is none other than Kitura. Get you some. She literally is a one-woman army, so that character fits her pretty good. But yeah, you can call her and say, hey, just uh, wanting to know if uh, if I got together some resources and was able to uh, provide this to the shul, would that be okay? Like, hey, you know, you know, the shul needs a, a hot plate or something. Well, is it okay, Katura, if I buy the shul a hot plate, you know, and take up a fund, you know, uh, indiscriminately and, and provide the hot plate and gift it to the shul, you know? You can do things like that. Hot plate is a really small example. You can think of other things. But wherever you see lack, you know, if you see it, ask Hashem to help you uh, engage in that and do it. So, you know, so, yeah. So in, in that aspect, we now call the incredible Talmud the incredible Tamid. And he's like, yeah, it's always been that. And we're like, oh, my gosh, boy, you crazy. But, yeah, because if you take the Lamed out of Talmud, you are left with Tamid. So if you put in the Lamed to uh, Tamid, you get Talmud, which is disciple. But if you take the Lamed out of Talmud, then you have Tamid, which is without ceasing. So he is the incredible without ceasing disciple. So that's what the Hulk is. That's that's him, Shlita. So bless that man. Long life, lots of life, lots of green. Uh, you know, I've gotten a podcast with the Mighty Hover. Come on, Mighty Hover, Shlita. Got the podcast with him. Um, Zolan. Come on, Zolan, Shlita. Our, our Submariner Avenger. Got the podcast with him. You know, and probably got some other people that I'm not thinking of off the top of my head that I've probably podcasted with. I had the Teen Titans at one point. Uh, from our youth group of like a lot of years ago. Well, a few years ago, but it feels like a long years ago. So anyway, all that to say, I have a lot of history that you can go through. And so if you don't see any new episodes, you know, there's things available for that pot for this tour portion. So whatever tour portion we're on, you know, you can go back and you can share that on your Facebook. I'll, I'll start sharing some stuff too and uh, let everybody know it's an old one, but you know, you know, just kind of put that out there. So anyway, Acts 15, right? What can you focus on? Because there's a lot coming at you when you drop down into the dojo of Judaism, you know, especially the P Judaism, you know, we're playing catch up because we're deprogramming from Christianity or wherever else we came from. And, uh, you know, Hebrew roots, messianic, uh, you know, uh, unorthodox, orthodox Judaism, conservative Judaism, reform Judaism. I mean, from everywhere, like, and people who didn't even believe in God or any kind of religion, you know, they're coming in and like, a, what's a devotion to Hashem? Like, you know, that kind of stuff. So, uh, yeah. So we're going to pick up actually. And, uh, let's see here. We're going to pick up in verse so 22 because this is a letter to the communities that are uh, spread out 
all throughout the region, you know, of the world at the time, which practically was like central uh, Europe. You know, uh, we got the Middle East and Central Europe and we're kind of getting into like the Asia, uh, Asia Minor provinces. Obviously, we got some of the the Africa and we got a lot of Saudi Arabia and then we're getting into Turkey and, you know, touching into Europe and stuff like that. So kind of dispersed in that little circle there. And then obviously over the centuries, we've expanded all the way around the world. So technically everybody knows about Jesus and Torah, but they don't really know it's Yeshua and Torah. They call it Jesus and Moses and the law and, you know, uh, legalism and things like that and so obviously that's a lot that's going on so when you come into Lapid Judaism you're deprogramming from everything that you ever knew and as uh, Shimon Slita uh, from Sar Shalom Tulsa brings down he said you know rabbi tells us that you know you just need to leave it at the door there are things that you spent lots of money on in your previous life of worship of God you know but you got to throw it away you know, all the the cute little statues and trinkets and cross walls, you know, get rid of that stuff. You know, that's that is working against you. And those are portals to Gehenna is basically what he ended up bringing it down to. And I was like, that escalated quickly. So, yeah. So anyway, this is the letter that's sent to those people, because as people are coming into this, as people are be- being made Talmudim. You know, learning what Mashiach taught, being immersed in the name of the Father, the Spirit, and the uh, the Father, the Spirit, and the Son. You know, uh, as Mashiach has taught us in Matthew twenty-eight, eighteen through twenty. Okay, so what does this look like? You know, obviously you're not going to be able to go from uh, not dressing zanut and being observant to dressing zanut and being observant uh, overnight. Jews don't even do that. Our children are not legally accountable until the age of 20. They begin to be accountable as a girl at the age of 12 and as a boy at the age of 13, but they're given a seven-year grace period. Girls have an eight-year grace period because they're spiritual. But anyway, 20 years old is really... When you can try someone for death penalties before that age. Nope. So therefore, when you read in the Torah it says you should take your child out and stone him for being disobedient. Well, child in that context means a 20 year old who's had 20 years to figure out life. <laughs> you know, same thing should work for converts. We're older children. It's probably it probably should double, actually. But that's just my opinion. I don't have anything to back it up. So obviously this doesn't really hold any water, but it holds a little bit because even a cup with a hole in it has water for a little while. You might get a few sips out of it, at least. I don't know. Depending on how big your cup is. But my point, because you don't care anything about that, (laughs) about my opinion. But my point is not only do you have to grow up again, but you got to deprogram from your previous theologies which is actually way harder than learning stuff. Unlearning is harder than learning. 
So, I mean, because you got to deal, I'm talking deal, capital D, capital E, little A, capital L, and a whole bunch of other capital L's because you're going to lose a lot. You feel like you're just losing all the time. You feel like you're just messing up. I feel like, oh my gosh, is it ever going to end? Is the mess up train ever going to stop and let me get off? But you, you're just going to be like, man, I got to deal with the fact that there's not a trinity. I got to deal with the fact that I don't get to celebrate Christmas anymore. I got to deal with the fact that Resurrection Sunday is not a thing. I got to deal with the fact that the one piece of jewelry that I used to wear to say, blessed be Hashem, my salvation, let the redeemed of the Lord say so, I'm blessed in the city, blessed in the field, I'm a friend of God, and call them on the main line, tell them what you want, that piece of jewelry, I got to throw it in the trash. Wow. Seriously? My parents may disown me. My wife if you're a guy or my husband, if you're a woman may divorce me, my job may fire me. So as a convert dealing with all that, I mean, seriously, are we really going to be on their case about not eating kosher right now? Obviously there's a level. Don't just come up in here with pork, but you know, steps, (laughs) right? Hopefully, right. I'm just saying, that's some life stuff to deal with. You can deal with learning Hebrew at a later time. You can deal with understanding Shakarit Minkamarif, which, by the way, is the acronym of Shema. Sheen, Mem, Ayin, Shakarit, Minka, Arvit. Arvit is how you actually say Marif, because Arvit is connected to the word for Erev, which is evening or nighttime prayer. So the the way to Shema is to do the three prayers. Did you know that when you do the bedtime Shema, that's technically an extension of Arvit? So, so yeah, just want to throw that out at us because the greatest commandment is to Shema. So are you in the three prayer times? You know, you don't necessarily have to like do the, the Ma'ariv Seder, you know, according to the Siddur to be doing Arvit. Because technically, Ma'ariv, what is what is Ma'ariv prayer service? It is the Shema and the Shemoni Yesterday. And sometimes they do Tehillim in there. You know, there's extra brakas in there, you know, and, and things like that. But if you really want to get down to it, we're supposed to say the Shema before we retire and when we arise. You know, so technically your Ma'ariv and your Shakarit is the Shema. And the Shemoni Esrei is considered to be the culmination of prayer. So that's why Shema and Shemoni Esrei are really the, the two big points of your prayer time. And then for Minka, it's Tehillim 145 and Shemoni Esrei. Now, supplement, you can add in the Corbinot services for uh, Shakari and Minka, you know, and, and things like that. So, you know, there's so many options, but it'll take time to really engage into all that. So you got to give people space because 
especially if you're dealing with family dynamics, that's going to be a little bit distracting. So give people a little space with not showing up to shul every week, especially if they're just starting, not tuning into the Aliyah day, not studying the Torah portion, not making every prayer time. They don't have kosher zitzit yet. They don't have to feeling yet. You know, they're not wearing a head covering 24 seven yet. You know, like, if they're dealing with all that kind of stuff, that's going to be some, I mean, you're going to have to work. Some people, they can sacrifice at the drop of a hat. Like, I was that kind of person where I was like, okay, let it go. Okay, let it go. The only problem the only problem I had with letting go was calamari. I got so hooked on calamari like my last year of being non-Jewish and then only to find out, yeah, don't eat that. And I'm like, Seriously, there's got to be a fin or a scale somewhere. And it's like, hello, Amet, you need fins and scales. Shh, be quiet. I don't want to hear right now. I'm looking for fins and scales or fins or scales. You know, I I, got to eat this. You know, that was my hard thing. So, you know, anyway, just to point out, people have some stuff to work on, you know. And when you get here, be glad to be here. Take your time. Take your steps. Learn thoroughly. If you get the letter Olive, you better get that letter Olive. If you get Zizi, you better get the Zizi. If you get Shakari, you better get Shakari. If you get candle lighting, yeah, you better get candle lighting. Okay, get what you get. Now, don't just run up in here trying to grab everything without really grabbing everything, because how many of you know there's a such thing called gravity? So if you're not really holding on to something very well, it will fall. Okay? It works like that with Torah observance. If you don't really got it, you're going to lose it. Okay? And it's going to frustrate you more as opposed to you taking time to get there and, like, be there. Everything that you do in your observance is supposed to be progress. Grab it, solidify, progress, grab it, solidify. Okay. Do that in all areas. Obviously all of us at Shul want you to be not wearing zit zit on your belt loop. We don't want women showing their chest. Seriously, stop it. <laughs> right. In the world today, people be showing all sorts of stuff and they wear leggings like their pants. And you're just like, those are meant to be undergarments. Stop it, you know, kind of stuff. But they're going to have to have a little bit of time. So, and uh, yeah, so anyway, that's my soapbox. I'm out of soap. So I'm going to go to Acts 15, 22, like I said, about 20 minutes ago. Okay. Then it seemed good to the emissaries and the elders with the whole community to choose men from among themselves to send to Antioch. So where are we seeing choosing men to send out before? I don't know. Parsha Shalak, Parsha um, Atot. Um, where else have we seen send out men? Oh, Parsha Beshalak, because we had to send people with Yehoshua to go take on Amalek. You know, and things like that. Oh, and uh, when Yehoshua sent the two spies into to Jericho, when Yeshua sent out the the twelve uh, in uh, Matthew chapter ten, 
And then obviously when he sent everybody out in <laughs> Matthew chapter 28, Acts chapter one. So we do a whole lot of sending out people, you know, and by the way, uh, the mikvah we have in our Lapid community is Shaloa, which is from the word Shaliak, which means to be sent out. So around here, up in Lapid City, what we be doing up in here, up in here, is we be immersing people and sending them out. I say we be immersing people and sending them out. Okay, so we don't get to just, oh, Brugashim, my conversion's complete now. I'm going to go to Israel. It's like, no, you're going to go down the street and live a Jewish lifestyle and show your neighbor what's up. You're going to get converted and you're going to live in your community and you're going to show your people what's up. Now, whether you're moving to Saginaw or, you know, whatever, or if you're still in your, your HCO post or whatever, you got to hold it down, you know, uh, because the, the beautiful thing about where, wherever you are is that you are bringing the Torah there. Even if you're the only person you have placed Torah in that area and you've given that area spiritual life, vitality, the light of Hashem and opportunities for people to come out of darkness and into light. Now, the choice is theirs, and also the choice is yours for whether you're wanting to choose to be that beacon or not. But just know if you feel like, oh, my gosh, I'm by myself and I don't have any community. Well, if you're an HCO and you have a community and you're by yourself where you are, but you're in community, you know, Baruch Hashem, as much as you can visit or as much as people can visit you, Invite people to come see you. You ask if it's okay to go see other people, you know, and spread this thing around. Because as we're reading in, throughout, uh, we're reading Acts chapter 15. But if you read all of Acts, you'll see how everyone traveled around with each other. And actually, the Agarit to Roman series, which Bezra Hashem, I hope to get back to within the next couple of weeks. Um, the reason why there was a letter even written to those people is because somebody traveled from Shavuot, where Kepha was droshing like nobody's business, probably spoke in the 70 languages like Moshe did for the whole Sefer of Devarim. So, you know, you got Moshe and Kepha doing the same thing here. But anyway, um, speaking in tongues and whatnot, that's what the 70 languages are. But, you know, going all out and uh, somebody that heard Kepha droshing, they were like, oh, my gosh. And they ended up going back to their home in Rome. And they began a little congregation up there. Shaul heard about him, was like, hey, can someone take this letter uh, to them? And they were like, sure. And uh, and he said, I'll, I'll be following behind that letter, and I hopefully hope to get there soon. But they can have that letter until I get there, and then we'll, we'll drosh some more when I get there. So, you know, everybody was just traveling around and spreading the light and stuff. So, you know, Baruch Hashem for HCOs. You are literally embodying what we see in acts. So it's awesome. You know, obviously it's hard, you know, and I don't know a thing about the level of the hardness. So please forgive me for not understanding the depth of that. But just as far as I can see and encourage, you're literally being a light in a dark place and being an outpost for who knows who Hashem is going to bring to you. Somebody's watching you right now. 
they've been examining you for as long as you decided to pick up observance and as much as you've progressed over time, somebody's watching you, I guarantee, and they are taking it to heart. One of the things that is probably going on, because personal experience has shown this with me, and it's probably the same with you. If, if it's not, it's something else, obviously. But people are building up the fortitude to actually trust you, to open up to you, and even probably seek to join with you. You know, because people don't want to ask questions sometimes about your your faith. And they're just like, oh, I'm sorry for being rude, but can I ask what what are the strings? You know, I don't want to call them something disrespectful, but I just want to know what they are. And you say zeet zeet, and they're like zeet zeet, okay. What's zeet zeet? You know, and they'll they'll grab a hold of it. They'll literally like okay zeet zeet. You know, they're not strings, okay. You know, and things like that. So they, the fact that you give people a chance to engage in that, to ask questions, whether they respond well or not, again, that's not your focus. Your focus is be an outpost, be an entry point, be a portal. Okay, be a portal. That's what we got to be so people can get to Hashem. We know we're in the end times. We know we're in the last days. It's called the footsteps of Mashiach. Everybody's been talking about that, you know, and especially with everything that's going on in the world now, a lot of people are like, okay, okay, finally, end times. Okay, we we get it now. Okay, mark of the beast. Let's look for it, you know, and everybody's trying to figure out what that is. So everybody knows we're in that. But what's the goal? What's the role? What is the mission that Mashiach Yeshua told us to do? Because he didn't tell us stock up on food and water and get in a bomb shelter, hide yourself away. No, he said, I'm going to need you to go make disciples. Go make disciples. I need you to get on your GMD. Okay. Go make disciples. So that's what that's what we're supposed to be doing. If you really want to know what to do for the end times, instead of calculating when the Mashiach is going to get back here, instead of calculating when COVID-19 is going to end, instead of calculating who's going to be the next president, instead of calculating when is the world going to get struck by meteors and asteroids or when all sorts of crazy, chaotic things are going to happen, we need to be focused on making disciples. That's the goal. Now, whether those disciples decide to convert or not, again, that is not our focus. Our focus is, do people have a chance to become Talmudim of Hashem? Do they? With, with who you are, your very existence, are you giving people a chance to become a Talmud of Hashem? Because that's the focus. So if if you don't get anything out of this podcast today, please get that. All right, so sending out people to Antioch, right, with Shaul and Barnaba, okay, Barnabas. So Paul and Barnabas have a whole bunch of people going with them. It says they sent Yehuda, also called Barsaba, and Silas, okay. So you got at least four people named, and then you got other people uh, going along with them as well says leading men among the brethren and this letter along with them. So they're going out with a bunch of emails and they're like, Hey, here we go. It says the emissaries and the elders, your brothers to the Goyim brothers 
of Antioch, Syria, and Cilicia. Shalom. Okay, so when it says Gentile brothers, this isn't like they're uh, not Torah observant people. They're people who are entering into covenant. So it's not like they're just like, oh, we're not Jews, we're Gentiles, and we're just going to do Noahide stuff. It's like, no, you're, you're beginning your conversion. So you're not technically a Gentile, but you're not technically a Jew, but you're already going to be embracing the yoke of the kingdom anyway, which is what a Jew is, someone who embraces the yoke of Shemaim, which is the Torah. So the moment you began to be observant in Torah, you've already expressed being born again. So everything else is just a formalization of what has spiritually occurred. This is Yochanan chapter three stuff. Yeshua teaches us about this. You can't really tell when, when someone's been born again, but you can, the way you can tell is just the way you can tell where's the wind coming from. It's like the wind started from here. And it's like, you don't know where the wind started from, but you see the effects of the wind. You don't know when someone's actually Jewish, but you can see that they're Jewish. So, you know, and we need to get the concept of Jewish down. You know, I I read this. Uh, this is the teaching of the letter Lamed. So if you've seen, if you've gotten a chance to listen to Bain Hametzarim Lamed, the teaching of the Lamed. Uh, that's where this is going to come from. But it says this, uh, if I go to Lamed here, my wisdom of the Hebrew alphabet. It says, what does it say? Great to small is the section. It says that the great king of kings represented by the tall Lamed, is joined with the smallest of nations, symbolized by the tiny Yod. The sages render, it is befitting for the great master to attach himself to the smallest subordinates. Okay? So, the relationship between God and his chosen people is symbolized by the Lamed, Connecting itself to the Yod, which is the King of Kings being connected to the lowest of the low. So, people who are chosen by by Hashem are considered to be the least of these. Okay, so if you're coming in from the nations, if you were formerly a Goy, if you're now going to connect yourself with Hashem and begin to be converted and to walk in covenant. You're like that little Yod, which the teaching of this verse comes from Shemot 19.5, Exodus 19.5, which says, Ve he yitem, ve he, he yitem segu, li segula. You shall be to me a treasure. So that's us being joined with Hashem. And remember, Shemot 19 was national conversion. That's when the whole nation of Israel became Jews. So anyway, whole thing about bringing a sacrifice, going undergoing the mikvah, being circumcised. 
the three steps of becoming a convert. So there's that. So going on, it says, since we have heard that some from among us have troubled you with words. How many of y'all have been troubled with words? You're not a legitimate Jew. You can't be Jewish. Is your mother Jewish? Which, by the way, nothing in conversion teaches us about having a Jewish mother. Because if that was the case, then Abraham is out. Abraham is all the way out. If, hear me when I say if, if that was the case. You can't rule people out from being actual converts just because they don't have a Jewish mother. And don't try to hit up with that. Well, that was Abraham, but now it's different after we've had, after we've been in the land and after we've had two temples and all that kind of stuff. Because, uh, remember this one time we, as the Jewish nation, made the golden calf? Remember this one time we sent in the spies? Remember this one time we ate at the fest, at the feast of King Akashverosh and the Jews almost got annihilated? You know, the Purim story. Yeah. Remember all those things? Oh, and this one. You remember the crucify him, crucify him? We have no king but Caesar. Remember that? Yeah. Remember Bar Kokhba? Remember uh, Shabbatai ZV? Remember the Holocaust? Yeah. Yeah. Lots of wounds. Lots of, lots of past mistakes and tragedies. So you want to you want to keep people from bringing light and tikkun into the world because they don't have a Jewish mother when we got all that to deal with working through. Selah. But anyway, people have been troubled with words disturbing to your souls. Some people get so disturbed by these words that they forsake Mashiach Yeshua they forsake their Torah observance. They go back to being worse than an idolater just because there have been disturbing words spoke to them. So we really got to be careful with how we're handling people who are making life or death decisions to enter into covenant, to even pick up the Torah. We got to work on that as a, as a whole. We we can be a whole lot better. So what if people believe in Jesus and that that's his real name? Do they want to keep Shabbat or not? Because as they keep Shabbat, guess what? Yeshua Hamashiach is going to be revealed to them. They will stop calling him Jesus Christ. I guarantee you that. You got to give them time and you got to give them space. Let me just tell you from personal experience. When I first heard that Jesus Christ is not his real name. (laughs) Let me tell you, I didn't immediately go, oh, my bad. It's Yeshua HaMashiach. No, it ain't go down like that. It did not go down like that. I said it did not go down like that. Took a minute. I had to, first of all, get comfortable with speaking Hebrew because it's like, well, Yeshua is a Hebrew word. It's like, okay, so is Torah. You ever think about that? So is Shabbat. Did you ever think about that? You know, like, anyway, 
But, uh, yeah, so I had to get comfortable with that. And I was like, okay. And then, okay, Yeshua. Okay. I know who I'm talking about. I'm talking about Jesus. Like, Yeshua, Jesus. Okay. Okay. Hmm. You know, and I always put in parentheses, just in case people want to know, I still believe in Jesus, but I call him Yeshua. I'm just letting everybody know. You know, I went through that whole phase. But you get better over time because you understand, you know, where that name came from. And you're just kind of like, oh, it's, yeah, it's only Yeshua. You know, but you have to get there. And if you force people to not say the J word and just be like, stop saying that I will destroy you. You know, if you have that kind of mentality, well, maybe you won't say to destroy them, but you do really bad stuff to them or whatever. Um, just know, even if you force them to say Yeshua, that, you know, they won't really make that connection. And again, Shimon Shlita, I just have to say this because it just, it branded my mind as soon as he spoke these words. He said, you're not going to save anybody on Facebook. <laughs> Woo! Oh, okay. I had to back up from the mic a little bit. Hopefully that wasn't too uh, distorting, but seriously, you're not going to save anybody on Facebook because, you know, social media is the main place to get into arguments these days. You post one little drop from a source and people just go crazy. You're like, let me save this person from themselves. And it's like, you're just going to come away. He literally said this to you. You're just going to come away with high blood pressure and stress. (laughs) Whose kid is this? And I was like, oh, yeah. What's his Avenger character? Um, Where are my Avengers at? Zofé. He's the uh the sentry guy. What does Zofe mean? So in uh Hadassah, by the way, Shlita, Hadassah Bauer is uh Isha Tama. She's the Miss Marvel character. Not to be confused with Kamala Khan, because there's a bunch of Miss Marvels and Captain Marvels and all sorts of stuff. But there's a Miss Marvel. And so found a Zanute version of her actually wearing pants, so that was cool you know anytime you try to find female avengers i kind of cringe because i'm like oh gosh they're probably not going to be zanute i don't know how they got away with that stuff in the comics anyway but you don't care anything about that uh zofe comes from the word watchman okay so that makes a lot of sense ezekiel 317 ezekiel 337 uh appointed watchman to the house yeah so what ezekiel was that's what zofe is and i'm a huge fan of ezekiel i i was telling somebody this past shabbat i was like man first class i want to go to in olam habab Hashem, is ezekiel's class i'm like bro what was up with chapter one let's talk about it that was your, your that was your entry that was your basic training into uh your your ministry so like that's how you started <laughs> with chapter one let's let's open up the heavens and talk about the Merkava for a second you know the very thing the very everything that was with us while we were in the wilderness because you realize when we made the ark and we had the levites and the mishkan and everything that was the lower version of what ezekiel described in uh, ezekiel chapter one because it says that the the ark, the Mishkan, was directly uh, underneath the throne of God and the myriad of angels that surround it, you know, in the heavenly. So 
heaven and earth were moving simultaneously. So that's why we were in the clouds and we got the rock with us and it was always day inside the cloud and everything like that because we were moving with God's chariot uh, throughout the wilderness. So the reason why the cloud would roll up like a scroll and move ahead of us because that's when the throne of God was being lifted up by the four angels that surrounded it, picked it up and carried it to the next spot. So that way the ark always stayed with the higher ark, which is the mercy seat, the throne of God, the Kisei Hakavot. So we're moving and doing this higher, lower mirror thing like that. Remember the Atbash? The Aleph to Tav mirrored by Tav to Aleph. So that way the letters stay connected with each other. So yeah. So anyway, so that's totally a thing. All right. So they troubled your souls. Acts fifteen twenty four says they troubled your souls. And it says, although we gave them no such authorization, they said... They gave them no such authorization. So, by the way, if people are troubling you about entering into conversion, about you being a new believer and whatnot, then uh, nobody told them they had the right to come blast you. So, that's totally something. Okay, then it goes on to say, It seemed good to us, having come to one accord, like the Honda, it says, to select men to send to you with our beloved, which are Havarim, Barnaba, and Shaul, men who have risked their lives for the name of Adonainu, Adonainu Yeshua HaMashiach. And it says, verse 27, We therefore have sent to you Yehuda and Silas, who themselves will report to you the same things by word of mouth. So here's it in writing, and then you're also going to get it in in verbal uh, speech. You're going to get it in in spoken uh, context as well. And it says, It seemed good to the Ruach HaKodesh and to us, which is, by the way, another word for Torah. The scripture is called Ruach HaKodesh. So... Yep. Judaism absolutely believes in the Ruach HaKodesh and is known as the voice of Hashem, the scripture, the Torah. It says, and to us, not to place on you any greater burden than these essentials, that you, number one, abstain from things offered to idols, which, by the way, would be unkosher food. Just like Rabbi Griffin brings down, a.k.a. Captain Yisrael, that if you want to eat lamb on Pesach night for your Seder, wherever you go and you find lamb, especially if it's not kosher certified, that uh, it's offered to idols. There's a purposeful sacrificing lamb to idols during the season of Passover because Jews do not eat lamb on Passover night during the Seder. So here it is right here. Don't eat food offered to idols. Anything that is meat that's not kosherly slaughtered technically is offered to idols. Even though it may not be like, so so to speak, you know, prayed over and said, but in the sense of it's not offered to Hashem, 
No one who kills a cow or chicken or whatever else uh, kosher animal without doing the kosher slaughter process. Ain't nobody blessing Hashem by doing that. And they're not even killing it appropriately. They're literally murdering animals and literally abusing the animal in the process. So if anything, maybe it's not idolatry, but it actually is unfit for consumption uh, if it's not kosherly slaughtered, which leads to the next point. It says from blood. That's number two. Not only abstain from things offered to idols, but abstain from blood. When you kosher slaughter meat, you ensure that it has no blood in it. So if it's not kosher slaughtered, it's got blood in it. May not have a lot of blood, but it's got blood in it. Number three, abstain from things strangled. So again, the whole abusing animals, not really killing animals in the kosher, not slaughtering animals in the kosher sense. Uh, you're going to be strangling the animal, whether it's blunt force trauma because they do the whole clubbing thing or whatever they do to knock the animal unconscious, uh, the tasing process or the, the slaughter meal process, you know, all that kind of stuff. Uh, that is called things that have been strangled. Uh, number four, and from sexual immorality. Okay, so so there's that. So uh, there's all sorts of stuff that are tied to sexual immorality. You know, obviously adultery is one of them, but adultery and idolatry are they go hand in hand. So um, actually, there's a number one and number four are actually the same thing. So yeah, so you're supposed to do those four things. So if you can work from that, here's the next verse. Because this is what other people don't read. The non-Jewish mind doesn't take this into account when they're reading the, the Bible. It says, verse 33, Acts 15, 33. After spending some time there, they were sent off with Shalom. Oh, Sika. Where are we at? Okay. You by keeping away from these things, you'll do well. Shalom. Okay, so it's verse thirty where we're at now. Okay. So when so when they were sent off, they went down to Antioch, and when they gathered the whole group together, they delivered the letter. The people read it and rejoiced over its encouragement. Wow, encouragement, big word. Yehuda and Silas. Prophets themselves. Oh, so wait a minute. Yehuda and Silas were prophets? Get you some. Why were they still prophets? Because we still had a temple. Oh, yeah, there's that. You can have prophets while the temple exists. Anyway, says they encouraged the brothers and sisters with a long message and strengthened them. After spending some time there, they were sent off with shalom by the brothers and sisters to those who had sent them. If they were sent away with Shalom, that is default insinuating, implying and inferring that the people received the message. It says, but Paul and Barnaba remained in Antioch teaching and proclaiming the word of Hashem, AKA the Torah with many others. So 
they're there. They give this letter like, hey, here's some essentials. Notice it says essentials. This is not everything, but I know there's a lot going on. I know you got a lot to figure out. I know you got a lot to unlearn and deprogram from. But let's just start here. This is a starting point. Because Shaul and Barnaba, that's like Captain America and Iron Man. They're going to lay it down and they're going to hook everybody up. So don't worry, but just focus on these things and you'll get better. And it was actually earlier in this letter or earlier in this chapter where they said that uh, Shaul or Moshe is taught in the synagogues every day. And then it says, uh, it's verse, verse 21 actually right before what we read today, it says for Moshe from ancient generations has had in every city, those who proclaim him since he is read in all the synagogues, every Shabbat. This is why coming to shul is crucial. Doing third meals, crucial doing Arab Shabbat, crucial, whether you're invited or whether you are at home by yourself or whether you invite people over, this is the time to really learn and glean and gain. You make quantum leaps when you learn on Shabbat. You can pick up new customs, pick up new observances. You can pick up greater understanding of what you've read in the Torah portion. You can get into discussions about the Aliyah day. Many people don't know what to talk about on Shabbat since they're not supposed to talk about the work, talk about their work, talk about what they've done, what they did during the week. This would be the time. Talk about the Aliyah day. Talk about a question that came up in the parasha. Talk about people who asked you something at work. Talk about something you're struggling to understand. Shabbat is the time to do that. You you have the opportunity to make quantum leaps in your uh, abilities and in your learning uh, and in your, your spiritual growth and maturity uh, on Shabbat. So with the time I got left, I want to go ahead and share a few things. Uh, first, I want to lead out with the Kerhurt Humash. Uh, I put this on my Facebook, and I don't know who's all seen it yet, but uh, just in case you haven't seen it, I want to go ahead and share this. Uh, this is from the overview to Parsha Devarim. This was one of the main things that I wanted to pull out of it. There's a whole beautiful drop in the Kehert Humash overview for Parsha Devarim about Teshuvah and the three stages of it. So that's a beautiful thing to look into. But here's this. Moshe was the archetypal intermediary between God and man. His direct communication with God had made him quite at home in the spiritual dimension. But even while he was on Mount Sinai, he appreciated physicality enough to be able to refute the angels who sought to keep the Torah in Shemaim. So that's crazy because most of us, especially me, when we get into the depths of Torah, we get into the depths of spiritual Kedusha that we get to bring down and jump into and just swim around in. We're just like, whatever with mundane reality. I don't want to deal with chores. I don't want to deal with people. I don't want to deal with the world. I don't want to go to work. I don't want to drive in traffic. I don't want to go to the grocery store. Man, I'm not sharing anything personal at all. No, I don't. I don't have any strong feelings about any of those things. (laughs) Anyway, you just get so lost in the spiritual that you're like, whatever with the physical. 
but Moshe, who is the archetypal intermediary. So if that's the case for him, how much more so with Yeshua, right? Because he left Shemaim and said, earth is very important. It's so important that the right hand of God is going to become a human being and live and die to be resurrected so that the whole world has an opportunity to be rectified and tacooned for what happened originally in the garden and what happened again with the golden calf and what happened multiple times with the destruction of the temple. So the physical world is just a little bit important. I mean, why would Hashem create the world if he didn't think it was important? Why did he give us the Torah if he didn't think it was important? Like, you know, because how are you going to do kashrut if you never eat? You know, how are you going to wear zitzit if you never get dressed and go about your your daily work? You know, those are just naming a few things. There's obviously way more examples, but the the physical is super important. So that's a say law for me. I don't know about you. So, yeah. Anyway, so he was at home in spirituality, but he was like, oh, yeah, but the physical. So I can be spiritual and physical at the same time. So Moshe says, and it says an intermediary, however, can transmit the message he's given in two ways. He can convey it verbatim, serving as a transparent conduit or funnel funnel. Or he can absorb it and thus be able to, quote unquote, translate it into terms more readily understood by the recipients. This is why Yeshua says, what does the law say and how do you interpret it? Because Yeshua obviously was the former and the latter, because didn't he not say, I am the vine and you're the branches? You know, uh, no one comes to the father except through the son. Didn't he not? talk about himself being a funnel and a conduit and was he not transparent (laughs) right you know but anyway and also he was the torah so he was able to translate depending on the audience you know so yeah so moshe could either do either of those right so it says in transmitting the first four books of the torah it was enough for moshe to act as a person because it says the former which means it was okay for him to be conveyor of verbatim what Hashem said and be a transparent conduit and funnel so that's the first four books he's a funnel he's a conduit everything Moses is saying is verbatim from Hashem so it's like Hashem said boom 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 Hashem said boom 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 okay just like as I speak into this microphone and you hear what I'm saying that's exactly what Moshe was Moshe is a microphone he's only going to say what's spoken into him so that's the conduit, that's the funnel, that's the first four books. Okay, so that's Bereshit, Shemot, Vayikra, Bamibar, microphone books, right? And he says, the exalted level of the generation of the desert allowed this. You know, generation one, the ones who died in the wilderness, that's because they were able to receive that. Okay. So it says when he transmitted the book of Devarim, however, the audience changed. So the people that are actually going to go into the land now, it says Moshe now had to become the latter type of intermediary. Moshe now had to absorb it all and be able to translate it into terms readily understood. So he became both, uh, 
both ways of transmitting the message of Hashem. So Devarim was a level up for Moshe, basically. And may it be a level up for us because Devarim is always read before Tisha B'Av. And it's important because with the entering into the month of Av, the nine days, the last nine days of the three weeks going into the epic day of Tisha B'Av, like we have to level up. We need to culminate three weeks in this time right now, in these nine days and in Tisha B'Av, we should have the culmination of overturning mourning into joy over uh, making the tacoon and, and really rectifying past mistakes and deeds like this is the level up time. So, again, like I talked about with, you know, Captain Israel getting his Civil War armor and me getting the superior armor and uh, Mason Chazan Shlita has the, the black suit now uh, for his Spider-Man character. You know, and things like that. The Hulk, he also upgraded. I don't know if anybody noticed that, but he went from Professor Hulk to there's something called War World War Hulk or World Breaker Hulk or something like that. So that's incredible time eat. That's why that happened this past Shabbat. So haven't really seen what that looks like yet, but we saw a little picture of it when he got to teach for Parsha Korak. So shouts out to him on that. And obviously Mighty Hover is doing his thing on that leveling up so everybody is level up time that's what devarin is all about so we see it in moshe because he he leveled up so it says that he had to ensure that god's message be fully communicated in order to do this yeah fully communicated like nothing left out communicated so what you did not get from bear sheet through bami bar Here's the rest of the story in Devarim. So it says, in order to do this, Moshe had, in a certain sense, had to attain a greater level of selflessness that was necessary when transmitting the first four books. In order that the mediate, in order that mediating God's words through his voice not involve interposing his ego. So as God's words are now going to come through the throat of Moshe, which, by the way, he's speaking in 70 languages, like Hashem spoke in 70 languages to give the Torah. Moshe is now speaking in 70 languages, all of the Pesukim of Sefer Devarim. So obviously, if God was speaking through your voice, you'd be like, oh, yeah, and then I want to say da 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 Or you'd probably be so freaked out that you didn't want to say anything. But just imagining you open your mouth and then words just start coming out like you're not even using your own vocals. The shaking just took over your vocals and just started speaking. And not only that, you're speaking in 70 languages at one time. Just imagine that for a second. OK. If somehow you could imagine that now, imagine. After a time. You know, because how long is Devarim from the first chapter all the way to the end? Imagine at some point, which, by the way, it took seven weeks for Devarim to be transmitted. So the last seven weeks of Moshe's life. So during this seven week period, if you could kind of come to a little bit and be like, OK, so shaking and speaking through me, I kind of feel like as I'm getting all this information and I'm hearing everything, I just want to interject one point. Moshe, no. No interjection. 
I don't know about you, but it's hard not to interject sometimes. Like you hear something being dropped, you're like, oh, can I tag real quick? Sleek eye, you know, and you want to say something. So, no, Moshe didn't do that. So it says, in order that mediating God's words through his voice not involve interposing his ego, it was crucial that his sense of self be absolutely dissolved in his awareness of God. So Moshe couldn't even put his own thoughts into the words that were coming out of his mouth. Many times we speak without thinking, but it's not the shaking that coming through our mouth. It's another time to speak without thinking because you're knowing the shaking is coming through your mouth. So that's what Moshe was dealing with. And what that involved was him leveling up and becoming greater dissolved into the awareness of Hashem. This was the teaching of the Samic that I actually talk about the being nullified in yourself to the 60, which is Hashem. But goes on to say that uh, only by existing, quote unquote, within God's essence, so to speak, pun intended, could Moshe paradoxically be both there enough to serve as an intermediary, yet not there enough to serve as a transparent conduit for God's words. Sleeka. So what that just said, basically the Shekinah is using a human mortal body to speak. Hashem himself is speaking. And it's, it looks like Moses, but it's Hashem. Now, that's one aspect of it. But the other aspect of it is this is actually Moshe. So Moshe is like, use me, Hashem. Do what you need to do. And Hashem is like, I need to do what I need to do. And Moshe is like, well, here I am. I will open my lips. Let your praises come out. And Hashem's like, Todah And like, it's like, is it Moshe or is it Hashem? And the answer is yes. So... That's a little bit of a case precedent for us to understand Mashiach, Yeshua, when he says, how can you ask me to show you the father when I've, I'm here? Like, if you've seen the son, you've seen the father. You know, the words I speak are not my own, but they're the words of the one who sent me. You know, so when people are calling Mashiach Lord, like they're literally calling him Adonai, then, uh, you know, it's not that they're calling him Adonai. We're, we're calling Hashem Adonai, but it's, it's Yeshua. It's a, looks like a man right here. Looks like a human being who can die. But yet the only way he died was because he was supposed to notice that he only died because he was supposed to. So think about that with the fact he told a storm to be at Shalom. Okay. How many, how many human beings can do that? How many human beings from touching a coffin wake up the dead person and cause that dead person to be restored back to their family? Because you, cause you know that happened. Somebody was like, hey, Yeshua, come heal my daughter. And it was like, okay, I'll be there in a second. He's walking. There's a funeral service. He touches the coffin. The son wakes up and the son is restored back to his mother. Okay, that's ridiculous, right? Again, so talking human being, right? Human being do that? 
Now, sorcery, probably, yeah, but Yeshua was not sorcery, even though he was accused of that. But then he goes to the house where the daughter died, and he's like, okay, everybody, shalom. All the the fake criers, get out of here. Y'all and y'all screaming and hooting and hollering for no reason. Y'all don't even know this family. Just here to get a paycheck. Get out. Uh, Goes upstairs, closes the door, grabs the little girl hand, says, little girl, wake up. Why? Because what do we read during the bedtime Shema and during Ma'ariv? We read, he has the soul of the living and the dead in his hands. Mashiach Yeshua is called the hand of God. So, there's that. Lazarus' sisters are all turned up. Yeshua, you should have been here already. He died, you know, a few days ago. And why are you here now? You're late. He's like, I'm not late. I'm actually on time. Uh, you know, this is sad to see the effects of death because you're not supposed to be dead. Nobody's supposed to die. But we all die because we chose to, because we ate the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So that's why there's sin and sickness in the world. That's why COVID-19 exists. Okay. No matter how you feel about COVID-19, it's a form of sickness, which is a form of the sin that we brought on ourselves. So, you know, can't really get upset and be like, there's a pandemic in the world, da, 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 inflate the numbers and move stuff around and think that's the end of the world when people get COVID and all that. That's our fault. So... Yeah, that's a part of sin. And as long as there's sin in the world, there's going to be some kind of sickness. COVID-19, by the way, newsflash, not the only sickness in the world. There are way worse sicknesses than that. But nobody's talking about that. And probably nobody cares about that. But the point is, the part is, Yeshua said, Eliezer, because that's what Lazarus means in Hebrew, uh, wake up and come forth. Get out of there. What are you doing in there? Come out and talk to everybody. And he comes out all wrapped up and everything. They're like, take the burial cloth off the guy, take his kittle and, and replace it with regular clothes. And it's like, Oh, okay. So human being, right? Uh, sounds like not a human being to me. If we can call him a man would probably be the best way to say it. It's like, so Mashiach Yeshua, if we can call him a human being, just like you ever heard of uh Yanuka from the Zohar, Parsha Balak. Yeah, you should probably read the Zohar for Parsha Balak and learn about the child that the rabbis were like, I don't think this kid is human. And they kissed him like a mezuzah as they came in and left from sitting and listening to him teach. So, yeah, all that kind of stuff. So just want to point that out because uh, Moshe is giving us a case precedent for what it looks like for Hashem's voice to be spoken through human flesh while it's human flesh, but yet it's really Hashem. So anyway, uh, and then you also put that with the teaching of the letter pay from the Bain Hametzrim podcast that it said that, you know, when all of us are born uh, as a child, like in the womb, we're taught the entire Torah. But as soon as we're born, there's an angel that touches us on the lip. And that's where that little dent is that we have above our lips underneath our nose. That's where the angel touched us, and that's caused us to forget the Torah. And so our life is about repentance, returning back to that which we lost. But that never happened to Moshe. So just like the old adage of uh, how do you point out Adam and Hava in a crowd? Look for the people that don't have a belly button. Well, how do you point out Moshe in a crowd? Look for the person who doesn't have an indention beneath his nose where the angel touches us to cause us to forget Torah. 
Anyway, half kidding on that. But seriously, Moshe never lost the Torah he was taught in the womb. So he came out of the womb knowing the entire Torah. Again, case precedent for Mashiach Yeshua, if we can call him a human. Uh, yeah, he was the Torah. So when the angel touched Yeshua on the lips, imagine what that did. You know, Torah, don't know yourself. And it's like, okay, I'm the whole entire Torah, but I don't know who I am. Really? I don't know. Do I? Yes. No. Is it? Definitely. Maybe. <laughs> right. But anyway, obviously, Yeshua knew all the entire Torah, because even from a young age, he was dumbfounding the sages sitting in the temple. Remember that one time uh, Yosef and Miriam were making uh, Aliyah and then uh, they left the temple and they went a few days and they were like, oh, my gosh, where's Yeshua? And they went back and he was in the temple and he was like, don't you know, I'm always in my father's house. Anyway, you can take me out of the temple, but you can't take the temple out of me, mom. Anyway, I just had to throw that in there. I didn't want to miss my opportunity. So anyway, so yeah, anyway, so, uh, yeah. So I was saying from the source here, from the Kehert Humash overview on Devarim. Have I said that enough? Kehert Humash overview Devarim. Only by existing within God's essence, so to speak, could Moshe paradoxically be both there enough to serve as an intermediary, yet not there enough to serve as a transparent conduit for God's words. In this sense, the first person narrative of Devarim indicates not a lesser divinity than the the other four books, but a greater one for the I of Devarim is no less than the no less gods than Moshe. So as we're reading through Devarim, and if you see the word I in Devarim, whether it's Ani or Anoki, just remember, it's Moshe and, oh wait, it's Hashem. So is it Moshe or is it Hashem? It's like, yes, it's it's both. So that's the first thing. The verses that I uh, appended to that uh, was this, Yochanan 5.19. Therefore, Yeshua answered them, Amen, Amen, I tell you, the son cannot do anything by himself. Imagine if Moshe tried to speak 70 languages at one time by himself. I'm going to go with the no, that's not going to happen. So same thing Yeshua is letting us know. The son can't do anything by himself. Like you want me to stop the wind and the waves. You want me to raise people up from the dead. You want me to be on the crucifixion stake and be he who knew no sin and became sin. So we come to righteousness of God. You want me to be buried for three days and be resurrected on the third. I can't do that by myself. Okay. So that's something to take into mind as a Selah. He says he can only do what he sees the father doing. Whatever the father does, the son does likewise. Yochanan 10:38. But if I do, even if you don't trust me, trust the deeds. Then you may come to know and continue to understand that the Father is in me and I am in the Father. By the way, that account or that is that applies to us, Lapid. People may not trust us saying that we're Jews, but they will trust our deeds because you can't tell somebody who Shomer Shabbos who is totally observant. You can't tell them that they're not a Jew. It's just like, man, that person's not a Jew. They're eating so kosher. They're lighting candles. 
They're keeping their Shabbat. They're dressing new. They're wearing zizi. They're wearing head covering. They're rapping to feeling. They're davening Shakarib, Mink, Ma'arif. They are rapping to feeling. They are in Talit. They are keeping the, the festivals. They are getting circumcised. They are having brit milahs. They are having hoopah weddings. They are getting immersed in a mikvah. They're not Jewish. It's like, dude, that's more Jewish than most Jews today. Most observant Jews. Definitely, that's more Jewish than most secular Jews today. Because at least 80% of Jews in the world are not observant. So the fact that you're even doing any of those examples I just mentioned, uh, yeah, you're way more Jewish than the 20% who are actually observant. And that's being generous. Anyway, enough throwing buses, even as fun as that is. Um, but yeah, it's not a time for throwing buses, it's a time for building up. Just wanting to be a note of encouragement that, uh, you know, sometimes... People aren't going to trust us, so they're going to have to look at our deeds. You know, this is why Yaakov uh, Hashliach said, you know, I will show you my faith by my works, just like Abraham did. Abraham showed that he loved Hashem by offering his only son. But you're like, wait, but Abraham had Ishmael. Abraham had Eliezer. Any one of those could have inherited him. And it's like Hashem said, the only person who's going to inherit to you is Isaac. And by the way, I need you to kill Isaac. And Abraham was like, okay, now I'll save Anishma. You said that I was going to have descendants who are as numerous as the stars in the sky and as the sand on the seashore. But you want me to get rid of my son by offering him to you as a sacrifice. Which means he's going to die. So that means in order for me to have all these offspring, you're going to have to resurrect this guy. Okay, I, I guess that's that's what's going to happen. So, uh, all right, Yitzhak, we got to go. We got we got a place to be, things to do. Yitzhak is like, yeah, sure. Okay, fine. I'll, I'll trust you. Side note, what? <laughs> you're like, hey, Dad, we're going on a fishing trip? cool oh you're about to kill me cool and it's just like yeah because Hashem's gonna resurrect you it's gonna be totally fine it's gonna be great and and the reason why we're taking this trip son is because we love god okay abba <laughs> right i don't know about you but that's kind of how i looked at it that's the shomer man midrash anyway Yochanan 14.10 says, don't you believe that I am in the Father? Don't you believe that like the Torah is called by the name of Hashem, which means the Torah is in Hashem? Don't you believe I am too? Uh, and the Father is in me. Did not Hashem say I wrote myself down and gave it to you? Because, you know, the Torah is Hashem written down. So... Hashem manifest into human flesh and the 248 organs, 365 sinews. Don't you believe Hashem is in me? Just like he's in the Torah. That's ridiculous when you really look at this verse, because that's what it's saying. It says the words I say to you, I do not speak on my own. The father dwelling in me like the Mishkan dwelt in the, t the tabernacle. Like the way the Shekinah 
did I say the Mishkan dwelt? Wow. The Mish, like the Shekin that dwelt in the tabernacle and like the Shekin that dwelt among the people of Israel. So yeah, that's, that's what Yeshua is saying. So, but the father dwelling in me does his works. All right. So there's that. Uh, Rabbi Rafi Malet Shlita. Uh, I've been so blessed by him just in one week. Uh, so I don't know how much I can be in contact with this guy, but I want to let him know straight up, straight up. He was doing this whole beautiful drop on Shira Shireen chapter one, verse 15, and talking about the double expression of Yafe Yafe, you're beautiful, you're beautiful. And, uh, it was connected to the Moshe's prayer from Tehillim 90, I believe it was 90, uh, I can't remember, uh, establish the work of your hands. Uh, what verse was that? Uh, I'm going to have to use a regular Bible first. Works of your hands. There was a prayer. 92. For you make me glad by your deeds. I sing at the works of your hands. I sing for joy. I will sing for joy at the works of your hands. Okay, so this is a double expression about the work of our hands. And uh, he basically was bringing down that this was about a prayer about the Jewish people being worthy. And this is all from Rashi commentary. So, like, you can really go back into the Rashi commentary on Shirah Shireen and on this psalm passage and get this uh, all squared away. But I'm giving you the layman's uh, synthesized version uh, and brought through the the way that uh, Rabbi Mollet brought this down. So, uh, but it was saying that the the Jewish people are worthy of the shaking of dwelling upon them as well as the work of their hands. Like dwelling upon the, the tabernacle or the Mishkan, as well as what we do as the Jews in the world. So anyway, so that was beautiful on that double expression. So I think about when Yeshua says that, you know, the father dwelling in me, uh, doing the works, you know, like the same expression applies to Israel, that the work of our hands has the shaking up on it. So sheer or is the poor sheer. Or Sika, yeah, support Sheer of Blessed Memory. May her name be blessed. We were coming up on her yard site at uh, the beginning of Elul. Uh, so, Baruch Hashem. Uh, but Zippor Aish is who I was thinking of. Zippor Aish uh, was sharing something about uh, the nations who are not Jews in time to come, how precarious of a predicament that they will be in uh during the gog and magog you know first aspect of mashiach's return uh that they'll be you know having to come up and make ali out of israel like the survivors and uh she was quoting zechariah 14 so i want to go there because this was a beautiful point that she brought down so zippor Aish shlita uh, our Firebird Avenger was bringing this down, and I want to share this. This is really cool. Just thinking about the rebuilding of the temple and everything that's going to occur with sacrifices starting up again and everything. So, uh, 
I'm going to begin in verse 16, but the key verse is going to be 17. So I'm going to read 16 and 17. It says, It shall be that all who are left over from all the nations who had invaded Jerusalem will go up every year to worship the king, Hashem, Zebaot, and declare or and to celebrate the festival of Sukkot. And it says, And it shall be that Whichever of the families of the land does not go up to Jerusalem to bow down before the king, Hashem, Zebaot, there will be no rain upon them. So, brought down by Medzudot, it says, the people who repented, i.e. made Teshuvah, it says, when they saw the catastrophe that was befalling their camp will mark the anniversary of the miracles they witnessed during the war by going up to Jerusalem and offering Corbinot. Radak brings down on the Sukkot festival, for it is during the season of Sukkot that the war of Gog and Magog will have taken place. Avodah 3a states that God will concede to the wishes of the Gentile nations and offer them a final chance to accept his Torah. To testify their sincerity, he will ask them to perform the commandment of Sukkah, and each one will immediately respond by eagerly. They're going to be like, oh, I can build a Sukkah. Come on, man. I love God. They're going to be like so zealous says they're going to build a sukkah eagerly atop his roof. God will then cause the sun to blaze on them because in the time to come, the shield that is over the sun that's causing it to be seven times less brighter than it should be, uh, that's going to be taken off. So the sun is going to be seven times brighter, which is going to be seven times hotter. Whew, shouts out to Texas, or kind of, because it's super hot right now with the sun on a dimmer switch so imagine when the dimmer switch gets turned all the way up we think it's hot now well guess what it's gonna get real hot because <laughs> the sun gonna get brighter anyway so uh that's totally gonna happen it says god will then cause the sun to blaze on them and each of them will kick over his sukkah proving his insincerity and lack of commitment so, yeah, so many people want to be committed to God and say they love God and stuff. And like, yeah, I'll be converted and do tour. And it's like, yeah, well, can you light some candles on Friday night? Nah, man, I got stuff to do. Well, people are going to be really turned up because it's going to be Gog and Magog. And they'll be like, oh, my gosh, what's going on in the world? Everything's falling apart. It's like, well, do you want to trust Hashem and come into covenant? Yeah, 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 yeah. I repent. I repent. Okay, cool. And they're saved. And then after they're saved... The following year of the anniversary of them being saved from all that catastrophe, it's like, all right, so let's go up and remember when Hashem a year ago saved me from all this craziness. And it's like, all right, cool. So Hashem is like, all right, well, I need you to do a uh, Sukkot. You need, to be, you need to be building a Sukkah. It's like, yeah, yeah, cool, cool. I'll build it. It's like, woo, it's hot out here. I don't know how Jews sit in these Sukkahs. Well, if you learn the old Torah about sitting in a sukkah when it's too hot, guess what? If you have any discomfort while you're sitting in your sukkah, you're allowed to not sit in the sukkah. So why do you need the oral Torah? Well, so that you don't kick over your sukkah. Anyway, Rabbi Hirsch 
brings down bombing bar 2913 all the efforts of the nations using their powers to fight against connections with God and his laws and with their acknowledging God as king which is actually from verse 9 in, in this chapter and coming to Jerusalem to celebrate the festival of Sukkot each year what connection is there between Gog and Magog and Sukkot Rabbi Hirsch relates the name Gog, Gimel Vav Gimel, which gematria of that is 12. Uh, it says, because it's uh, 3 plus 6, which is 9, plus 3 is 12, to the word Gag, or Gog, which is roof, Gimel Gimel. And it says, which is in contrast to the Sukkah, the weak, unsustainable covering of foliage. So you got a solid roof that people are going to build an edifice on that doesn't have a solid roof. And so we're going to compare the solid roof to the not solid roof is basically what he's saying. So that's the that's the contrast between Gog and Magog and Sukkot. So it says this contrast usually sums up the entire history of mankind who think that just as they have the ability to build, which is definot, definot which sounds like definite strong walls definite means strong walls. It's like we have the ability to build strong walls it says to protect them from their earthly contemporaries. So too, do they imagine that they have the power to protect themselves from that, which comes from above God and his powers to direct matters. They imagine that they can build a roof quote unquote and take off their fate or and take their fate in their own hands and render themselves independent of God. The war of Gog and Magog is the battle of roof against Sukkah. The fight of the roof illusion of human greatness, which never allows man to rest against the Sukkah, which is truth of cheerful confidence and serenity, which is the result of placing one's trust in God's protection. This is why sitting in the sukkah is called dwelling in the shadow of your faith. Verse 17 on Sukkot judgment is passed in regard to water and rain for the entire year. This is from the Mishnah and Rosh Hashanah one, two, it says, indeed the Torah's commandments of the four species and the water libations are performed on the festival of Sukkot to entreat God and invoke his blessing on the year's rainfall. Therefore, those nations who do not go up to Jerusalem to pray for rain will be punished by not having any rainfall. That's from Rashi and Maharikara. So Zippor Aish, want to shout you out for bringing that to my attention because that's something beautiful to think about that as we are looking at end times and people are having to make decisions or shall we say people are being given the opportunity to make decisions whether they're going to be with Hashem or not, that is Gog and Magog. Are you going to trust in man or are you going to trust in Hashem? This is why it's beautiful to know that Mashiach is not a man, not just a man. He's not just a human. He is divine in all aspects of the word. If the Mashiach is not divine, then the Torah is just a book. Basically how that goes. Zephaniah 3.9. I saw this on Arab Shabbat and I want to bring this out that, um, it says the world will be for then I will change the nations 
to speak a pure language. And it says in the commentary, after the war of Gog and Magog, again, this is Zephaniah 3.9, the surviving nations will no longer utter the impure names of their heathen gods, but will speak a pure language, i.e. they will call out together in the name of the true God. That's cited by the Radak. Malbeam notes, although some nations may have worshipped the true God, it was not in a pure language, which is Be-Safa Ve-Ruah. Okay? For those religions have falsehood or have false and idolatrous concepts of the unity of God, i.e. like trinities and stuff like that. Uh, yeah, so that was a thing. It says, alternatively, all the nations will then speak in the holy tongue of Hebrew, the most perfect of all the languages, cited by Maharikara. And it says, it is only in the Hebrew that God's venerable name, i.e. HaKadosh Baruch Hu, can be expressed correctly. That's from the Ibn Ezra. So, in time to come, the whole world's going to call out to the name of Hashem, like the one true God. Like the, the name everyone's trying to pronounce now, but we don't know how to pronounce it. Because the people who are trying to pronounce that name don't even know how to speak Hebrew. So that's interesting. And even the people who know how to speak Hebrew, we call him Hashem. So that's something. But in the time to come, we're going to know how to pronounce that name. And in order for everybody to do that, we're all going to know Hebrew. So that's the pure language you're going to be stored to. So this is what caught my attention. The word uh, e, e, epoch, okay, epoch, olive hay, pay cough can also mean I will turn, implying that the nations will turn back again and speak a language that they had previously spoken. Our Barbanel explains that before the sin of the Tower of Babel, all the nations of the world spoke one common language, Hebrew. See Rashi 2, Bereshit 11.1. Because of sin, God confounded their speech, which resulted in the dispersion of the nations and the evolution of different languages and religions. After witnessing the great wonders of God that will take place during this war, i.e. Gog and Magog, they will call out in the name of the true God in the very language that they originally spoke. So, love that. Had to share that. Commentary on Zephaniah 3.9. And I want to finish up with the Midrash Rabbah. Because this was ridiculous. This was something that Hates Shlita was sharing. But this comes from Midrash Rabbah 1.12. says, Hashem, your God, has increased you. And behold, you are today like the stars of the heaven. This is a verse from our Parsha says the Midrash Parsha Devarim, that is. Hang on. Figuring out where to put all my devices. Okay. So, says the Midrash expounds the verse, this time focusing on the last word, which is Larov. Okay, we're going to focus on the word Larov. 
And it says, Moshe said to the people of Israel, today you are only like the stars. Which means, with regard to the greatness and significance, as cited in section 10 above, with note 111, it says, or with regard to the eternal existence of the nation. Israel is going to have an eternal existence. Just going to point that out, that Israel was the only nation that was in the mind of Hashem before creation. So... It was already eternal even before it it existed, just like the way Yeshua existed before he was born. So did we, by the way. But even before we existed, before we were born, Yeshua existed. He's the firstborn of all creation. Anyway, uh, so there's that. It says, uh, eternal existence of the nation, as explained by Sifri to the verse, and cited by Rashi, and that's from the Yefe to R, goes on to say, but in the future to come, you will be La Rove. You are destined to be similar to your master. What? You are similar to be, you are destined to be similar to your master, which is Le Rab Cain, which is God. We're going to be similar to God. Okay, so really, co-heirs with Mashiach? Who gonna rule and reign with Hashem? Okay, wow. So there's where that Romans in the Second Timothy passage come into play. Uh, yeah. The if you suffer with Him, you'll also reign and rule with Him, rule and reign with Him. Yeah, that. Here's what the footnote says. It's ridiculous. The word La Rove is written without a vav, and hence can also be read as. La Rav, which is to the master, i.e. you will be similar to the master. That's from Matanot Kehuna and Maharzu, see also H. Yosef. Says the word today in the verse is understood as an allusion to this world from the Maharzu. So in this world, you're only like stars. But in the Olam Haba, you're going to be exactly like God. This is probably where the Mormon concept comes from, that you grow and get to be a god and whatever the afterlife is in that faith. Anyway, so I just want to point that out. You're going to be like a Shem in the time to come. You're going to be similar to a Shem. This is why it's destined that Messiah and Israel will have the same name as Hakadosh Baruch Hu, namely the Yod and Hay with the Vav and Hay. But that's in the time to come. It says, it is written here, i.e., or it say, how so? It is written here, i.e., with regard to God, for Hashem, your God, he is a consuming fire, Devarim 4.24. And it is written with regard to Israel and the future to come, and the light of Israel will be like fire, and his Holy One will be like a flame. Yeshayahu 10.17. Rabbi Levi bar said, if one who worships idolatry is destined to become like it, as it is stated, those who make them should become like them, whoever trusts in them, Tehillim 115.8. One who serves Hakadosh Baruchu, will he certainly not become like him? Rabbi Levi Barhama, you need to get some help. 
It says, one who worships an idol will be obliterated like idolatry with no possibility of revival. Yikes. One who serves God will then will certainly be like him in that God will share with him his power to bless and decree. This is because or this is based on the principle from Sota 11 that God's measure of beneficence is greater than his measure of retribution. Okay. That was ridiculous. It says, and from where do we know that this is indeed so? For it is written, blessed is the man who trusts in Adonai. Then Adonai will be his security. Jeremiah 17, 7. I.E. His becoming like a Shem will be his security. Eitz Yosef, what is wrong with you? Just going to share that like it was okay. So here it is, another explanation of how Israel will be like God in the future to come. Another explanation, Rabbi Abba said, In the future to come, the enclosure of the righteous will be farther in, i.e. closer to God, than the ministering angels. And the angels will ask the righteous, what laws did the Holy One, blessed be he, establish today, like in this world? So, you know, that whole, are you under the law of God? Are you just, you in that Torah stuff? You're in that Judaism bondage stuff? It's like, psh, show is. Or as as uh, Bruce Leroy would say, show enough. So, uh, yeah, because I don't know about you, but I definitely want to be as close to Hashem as I possibly can. Because fire is totally a thing with me. I, I like consuming fire. Like that was my verse. You know, I used to go by a uh, dirty bird, a.k.a. the Phoenix. Like I wasn't playing. I was like, I'll be a bird on fire for Hashem. I want to be consumed in Hashem. Like Hashem consumed me. And it was like, I want to be so consumed in Hashem that I had to change my name from uh, from Phoenix of the kingdom to Ash Mizbeak Tamid, which is why Emet is my name. Because fire on the altar without ceasing. That's what I'm all about. Okay. Says the righteous among Israel will be sitting before God as students before their teacher and will be asking God questions regarding the Torah. The ministering angels who are prohibited from entering this area. I'm sorry, I misread that. The ministering angels who are prohibited from entering this area. No, I did not misread that. I'm sorry. Israel, right? The people who worship and trust in God, the people who follow the Torah, the people who are under the law, says they're going to be closer to Hashem than the ministering angels. They're going to sit with Hashem and ask Hashem questions about the Torah and the area that they're going to be sitting in and asking Hashem about the Torah, angels are prohibited from entering this area. Okay. Midrash Rabbah Devarim 112. That's what I'm reading. Rabbi Abba brings this down, and Eitz Yosef decides to back him up. Can I try to finish reading this? I don't know. It says, as a result, are forced to witness this give and take from afar. They will then inquire of the righteous as to the laws of Torah, 
that God revealed to them. Accordingly, the people of Israel will be like God and that they will acquire a more lofty spiritual status than even that of the angels. Eitz Yosef, based on Bami Bar Rabbah 2020. So let me just take some pictures real quick. Pardon me, everybody. Talk amongst yourselves, because I'm about to have some awkward silence. Uh, as I'm taking pictures of Devarim Rabbah, section 12, 112. That is insane. Insane, man. It's insane. Okay. Okay, so that's going to happen. And then it says, Rabbi Levi Bar Hanina said, Do not wonder how this can be. Thank you, Rabbi Levi Bar Hanina. He's like, Don't be blue screened by this. <laughs> okay. You must know something we don't know, but that's why you're Chazal and I'm not. It says, for even in this world, the enclosure of the righteous was at one time farther in than that of the ministering angels. So I drew a face on this footnote to what I'm about to read with a mouth that's just wide open like, what? I wanted to draw a picture of, an, of my brain exploding like that emoji that has the mind blown. But I don't, I'm not that uh, artsy, so I, could, I didn't want to, like, mess up my picture. So people like, is that a muffin on top of his head? It's like, no, it's a mushroom cloud. Matt, you need to work on your clouds. <laughs> anyway, the footnote. Eitz Yosef and also Maharzu. Even in this world, there are certain great individuals who merit that their enclosure is farther in than the ministering angels. We're not talking about the Alam Haba people. We're talking about right now. In a scamdemic COVID-19 full world, people wearing face masks and getting temperature checks type world, there are people who exist today who merit that their enclosure is farther in than the ministering angels. Okay, therefore, it should not be a surprise that in the future to come, this will be the lot of all the righteous. This has been a get you some moment from Devarim Rabbah 112. HaKadosh Baruchu, please send Mashiach now. Reveal the building of the final Beta Mikdash. Please reveal Mashiach Ben David and send him soon. Please send him now. Please redeem us now. Please redeem your Shekinah. Please bring in more proselytes. Pre please fill the world with the light of Torah. Baruch Haba Bishem Adonai. Baruch Atah Adonai Eloheinu Menach HaOlam. Asher Natan Lanu Torat Emet Vekaye Olam Natan Betochenu Baruch Atah Adonai Notain Hatorah.